used to look up things in the Bible. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you didn't bring anything this morning, then there's a Bible under the seat where you're sitting or right next to where you're sitting on page 969 is where you want to be. So, we're all familiar with our motto here at Hope Center, which is no perfect people allowed. So, what we mean by that is we don't put people down, we don't point the bony finger of indictment to people, we don't separate ourselves from people because of their past, what they might have done. And it's really important that you solidly get that in your head before this morning's sermon. No perfect people allowed. Let's say it together. No perfect people allowed. So I'm going to talk about the D word this morning. It's not dang, it's not darn, it's not dumb. It is divorce. Divorce. So... Uh, Teresa, I think most of you know Teresa. Teresa's in the hospital right now. But Teresa walked up to my wife a few weeks ago and she said, she was kind of in a little bit of a manic state, but she said, Stan Simmons, come as you are. 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 You get that? So, come as you are. We take people where they are. The culture's view of things changes on various topics. For example, when I was a boy growing up in the Baptist church, every Sunday all the deacons in the church were on the porch of the church smoking. See, now we laugh at that now, because now we have a sign out front that says, don't smoke within 30 feet of the door. Kind of, kind of changed, didn't it? Or women working. Now, gosh, for young people now, women working, what are you talking about? It used to be a taboo for women to work outside the home, and there was extreme peer pressure from our society that women would stay home, take care of the house, take care of the kids, and then peer pressure kind of has changed now, and then it's changed a little bit again where it's whatever you want to do is okay. You work outside the home, that's good if you want to work. In the home, that's okay, that's okay too. So culture changes dramatically on various topics. Premarital sex. Now, I know this is going to be a surprise to you, but there has always been premarital sex. <laughs> right? But there's a taboo until just the last couple of generations, there's an extreme taboo on that. So people did that in secret, they hid it. Now, culture's changed, so that's not a big deal anymore. So, divorce is one of those things that has changed in our culture. I remember growing up, and divorced people were treated as second-class citizens in the church. They, they felt like shrinking down, you know, whenever the D word came up. Now, I'm, the reason I'm making a big deal out of this is because probably, if, if we're average, probably 50% of the people in this room have been divorced. 
So I think you probably know me well enough to know I'm not going to make you feel like you have to shrink down. But this is a passage that we must look at. And so Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 31, uh, let's, let's negotiate this together. Jesus said, it has been said, so that's the way five times this starts. It has been said, this is what you've been taught. Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Now, that's a very interesting verse that we'll talk about later in the sermon. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for unmarital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. So when you read that passage of Scripture, I want to to just ask you this question. What is the big deal in that passage of Scripture? Now you read it and you say, well, divorce is the big deal. And I'm going to say to you, no. That is not the big deal. The big deal is marriage. He said those words because he was wanting to elevate marriage and talk about the seriousness in which we need to approach marriage. That's why he said those words, and I think you'll understand that as we go through the the text this morning. You might just jot down on your outline there. Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage is to be honored by all. In other words, we value it, we honor it, it's to be taken seriously. So as you fill in the blanks this morning, I've got four blanks in a row here. I apologize. I think when I was working on this sermon, Jared must have been talking about the Lakers or something because I really got messed up. <laughs> and I put these two close together, okay? So the first one is a healthy marriage brings great joy and fulfillment to your life. No, that, that actually isn't the first one. Marriage is a really big deal. Hold it in high regard, okay? Then the second one is a healthy marriage brings great joy and fulfillment to your life. This is why Jesus makes a big deal out of divorce. Because marriage, a meaningful marriage, brings great joy and fulfillment to our life. And secondly, divorce brings long-term hurt and pain to everyone involved. If you've been through a divorce, then you understand what that means, the pain that is involved in divorce. So the reason we're talking about this, the reason Jesus talked about this is because lives matter. He wants us to live a fulfilling life. He wants us to do things right. So let me give you a few options that we could take in approaching the topic of divorce. The first is we can use the Bible as a bat. I should have brought a bat this morning. When, uh, when my daughters were in high school, I didn't do it, but I wanted to do it. I wanted to keep a bat by the, by the door. Some young man comes knocking on the door, and he's going to be alone with my daughter for three or four hours in a car. I want him to think about me. Now I wouldn't say a bat. Now I have a concealed weapons permit. And when that young man comes to the door, it's not going to be concealed anymore. You better take take it seriously before you get in the car with my daughter for three or four hours. So we know what using the Bible as a bat means. Some, Some people 
Not very many people in my circle anymore. I've had it happen over the years a few times, but some people uh, are like a prosecuting attorney with the Bible. They're into getting after people. You, I will convict you with this scripture. You've probably heard preachers who talked like that. They sound like a prosecuting attorney. Now, I don't know if I should do this one or not, but I'm going to. Imagine using the scripture inappropriately. Should I do this? Golly. Okay. If you've got little kids with you, kind of cover up their ears, okay? Suppose a husband wants to get foxy with his wife. And she says no. And he grabs his Bible and he said, look at this. And he reads, the husband shall fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. How do you think that's going to work for you? <laughs> Probably not so well. There's an example. You, you know, you say that's crazy. It's actually not crazy. People do things like that. Uh, I went to, I've talked about uh, Jerry Mancuso's trial. He was a dentist in town, oral surgeon, and uh, I went to his trial, and it was uh, two or three days. And I watched the prosecuting attorney in that trial. I was horrified. Now, Jerry was my friend, so yeah, I'm biased, but I knew he was guilty of something. So that wasn't the issue whether he was guilty of something. But the way that the prosecuting attorney went after him was to ruin his life. It was vindictive. The tone of his voice, overcharging him, it was like, I'm going to see that you pay for this. Now, should a prosecuting attorney lay out the law and determine if a person is guilty? Absolutely, but there's a big difference in that than coming after somebody vindictively. Some people actually do that with, with the Bible. Uh, several years ago, this, this guy was having problems in his marriage, and I had tried to talk to him, I talked to her, and, and honestly, I, she, she was a very sharp, uh, godly woman, but he was like a prosecuting attorney. And so one day we got in this subject of wives submit to your husbands. Gosh, guys, think about it. Suppose somebody says, you, know, you, say, you submit to me. How's that going to work? That's not, what, that's not what God intended. He didn't remember the verse that was just before that where it says submit to one another. He forgot that one. But you get the idea. Someone who's pushing people down with the Bible. Some people have in the past have done that with, with regard to divorce. And, and I think it's going to be obvious that I'm not going to do that. Secondly, we can attempt to justify our missteps. Here are some important scriptures regarding marriage and divorce. And the blank to fill in there is don't give up. Don't give up. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. 
A wife must not separate from her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. Okay? The second scripture is, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now think about that, one flesh. It's no longer two, now it's one. And so to get a divorce is like tearing a limb from your body. It's painful, it's hurtful. People don't walk away from it unscathed. So that's why we're supposed to take it seriously. Now, not only is it not right to be the prosecutor with the Bible, it's not right to be a defense attorney with the Bible either. You know, you know what a defense attorney does. They, they try and identify things that are loopholes. Some people approach divorce that way. Well, you know, I've, I, I hear counselors Secular counselors in particular all the time do this with the Bible. They'll be counseling a Christian, and they'll say, you know, you need to get a divorce. I've never shunned somebody because they had a divorce, but I've never told somebody to get, get one. Some, some cases it's obvious. There are some scriptures you might fill in the blanks there. An unbeliever, if an unbeliever leaves a believer, then divorce is permissible. The scripture for that is 1 Corinthians 7.15. With adultery, we just read in the passage about G with Jesus, Matthew 5.32, if someone commits adultery, then divorce is permissible. Death of a spouse, divorce is permissible. And the scriptures for that are 1 Corinthians 7.39 and Romans 7.2. So my point is this, there are reasons to get a divorce. But please don't be the kind of person, whether it's divorce or any other topic, please don't be the kind of person who approaches the Bible like a defense attorney where you're looking for a loophole. Well, could I if this? What that's doing is getting as close to sin as you can get without sinning intentionally. You don't want to do that. So don't be a prosecuting attorney, but don't be a defense attorney either and look for technicalities or loopholes. So is error in both directions is what I'm saying. Thirdly, and I suggest this is a better option. We can choose to take people as they are. Now, what I mean by that is, uh, I, know, I know the answer to this question, but Grove, have you ever done anything in your life? You don't have to tell me what it is, thank the Lord. Have you ever done anything in your life that was against the Lord's will and he could indict you? Guilty. How about you, Chris? Yep. Guilty. Yep. Me too. Everybody? Okay. Now, the point is, we want to take people where they are. In other words, we all have things in our past that we're not proud of. But the reason I picked on Grove is that didn't take you out of the game. That didn't disqualify you, didn't disqualify you, didn't disqualify me. So our values here, as we went through last week, H is we help everyone as we're able. Opportunity, everybody gets another chance. 
Everybody gets another chance. Everybody gets another chance. Potential. God sees something in you that most of the time you don't see about yourself. Potential. And expectancy. You can have a better future, whatever your past is. You can have a better future. So that's where we take people. I counseled a woman since I've been here. And she came into my office and told me her story. It was everything I could do to keep from weeping. I mean, it was, it was tough. And if I would have been a prosecuting attorney, I could have ruined her life right there. She continued this story, and it got worse. And it got worse. Now, if, if I'm a pastor, what's my job? My job is to take people where they are and help them get where God wants them to be. Not to go back and condemn them for their past. Now, do I say to people, well, that's okay. No, it wasn't okay. It was a mistake. And here's why but that doesn't take you out of the game. There's a big difference in how we can approach things. Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now, if somebody has been divorced, they understand the consequences of that in a very real way. It hurts the man. It hurts the woman. It hurts their kids. It hurts other relationships. And they will walk tenderly into the future because of that. It's painful. It's hurtful. But if we take people where, where they are, then we do what Jesus asked us to do, for example, with forgiveness. Jesus said, you don't just forgive somebody seven times, you forgive somebody 70 times seven. And again, you're not going to hear me condoning any sin. Any misstep. But we forgive people. And we move on. We're merciful toward people. Which means, I don't want to see you pay. And we function in grace. I thought, you know, I've talked so much about grace here, but I thought about grace this week. And, you know, grace doesn't mean that Jesus meets you halfway. You know, if you're in a negotiation with somebody, a husband and wife are arguing, you're fighting, they say, well, you, come on, meet me halfway. God doesn't meet you halfway. He goes all the way. He goes all the way. Takes you where you are and then begins to rebuild your life and help you become what he intended for you to be. So number one, don't use the, use the Bible as a bat. Number two, don't use the Bible to look for loopholes or technicalities. Number three, move on. You made a mistake, so let's help you get healed up and move on. And then the fourth point is we can focus on building healthy marriages. Now, that, that, this is going to seem like a strange verse to put right after that, but it, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. That's what Jesus said. It has been said. This is the way you've been taught. What that's talking about, interestingly enough, you might just jot down the scripture, Deuteronomy 24.1 says that if a man sees anything indecent, 
in his wife, or displeasing, some translations say, in his wife, then he can get a piece of paper and say, we're divorced. Hand it to you, we're divorced now. No legal proceedings, that's it. Now, the problem was that there was one rabbinical school that taught that that referred to adultery. If, you're, if, if a man finds out that his wife is caught in adultery, he writes out on a piece of paper, we're divorced and it's done. There was another rabbinical school, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, that said, if your wife does anything displeasing to you, if she burns your toast, she's done. I mean, literally, they were, they were using that verse for anything. Well, I don't like her. I don't care. This isn't working for me. Hand her a piece of paper and you're done. So Jesus is addressing that. And he says, Moses gave you an out because you're not teachable. But then he goes on to talk about the way it really is. So the point is that divorce is a last resort. It's a last resort. And the point is, take marriage seriously. Marriage is a really big deal. Now, again, th those of you who are here t today and have, been, have a divorce in your past, I know this is a sensitive issue for you, but I, I want to talk about the seriousness of this. When you stand on the platform, part of the vows is, I say in front of God and these witnesses, we don't take that seriously anymore. I'm not saying you don't. I'm saying many people don't take that seriously anymore. It's like, well, you know, I meant it when I said it, but I, you know, I didn't really mean it. My point is not that there are no reasons for divorce. There are. My point is we take marriage too lightly. We don't take it seriously enough. I've had almost everybody I've ever counseled in a situation like that, they say, I knew when I got married I shouldn't have done it. And we're talking about the future now, right? So if you knew that you shouldn't have got married when you did it, be the runaway bride or be the runaway husband. I literally do this before people get married. When I'm doing the ceremony, I will talk to them privately and say, are you sure about this? You, you, you can still bail out. It's going to be embarrassing, but it's better now than later because it'll hurt a lot more later. Be the one runaway bride or the runaway groom. So here's, here's some positive things moving forward. Number one, don't be a me monster. If you want to be involved in a happy marriage, then you're going to have to get over selfishness. I don't remember a time in all my years that selfishness wasn't the major reason for divorce. It always goes back to selfishness. And some of you may remember, if you've been involved in a wedding that I do, I draw this picture of two people kneeling at the foot of the cross. So imagine the cross and there's a man and a woman kneeling at the foot of the cross. In other words, I'm submitted to Jesus, and I'm submitted to you. The husband and the wife say that. And then I always say, don't stand up. 
If the guy stands up and she's still kneeling, she's a servant, but he's going to be intimidating her, picking on her, abusing her. It doesn't work. It's going to lead to trouble. If he's still kneeling and she stands up, same thing. Every one of you have had that happen in your marriage. What happens when you stand up? Trouble. And if you both stand up, it's really trouble. Because you're, you're not submitted to God and you're not submitted to that other person, that's going to lead to chaos and turmoil and ultimately divorce if you don't deal with it. Selfishness. Love like Jesus loves. Did any of you watch The Bachelor? I don't. I mean, I'm familiar with the concept, but that's not the kind of love that we're talking about. Love like Jesus loves means you encourage one another, you forgive one another, you're devoted to one another, you serve one another, you're kind to one another, you submit to one another. That's the way Jesus loves. Love your husband or your wife the way that Jesus loves you. Grace, mercy, forgiveness. Admire one another. Any, anybody who is here today and is married, I just want to encourage you to admire your, admire your spouse, your husband, your wife. And let them know that you admire them. Now the reason I thought of this one is because when I was getting counseling at the center a few years ago, I had, <clears throat> I had some attitude problems toward my staff. So the counselor said, I want you to write down three things, three positive things about every member of your staff. I couldn't do it. For a couple of them I could, because I like them. <laughs> and I came back and she said, well, let me see what you wrote. And I said, I couldn't. She said, well, maybe that's a problem. You think? So, you know, I give Ginger a lot of grief from up here. <laughs> Other than Jake, she's my favorite sermon illustration. So I just wrote down some things about Ginger the other day to give you an example. Ginger has a great mind. She has a wonderful memory. You've memorized verses. She memorizes books. She's a great leader. She's loyal. She weathers the storms. I get down. She stays up. She makes our home a beautiful place. She's always got a big smile when I come home. She's great with our girls. She used to get out of bed when they'd come home from a date or going out when they're in high school. She'd get out of bed and go sit at the table and talk to them. Probably prevented a lot of things, didn't it? She expresses her love to people. I was thinking about, I was thinking about you, Dave. Dave and Terry were over at our house a few weeks ago, and I was sitting in the chair... Bye, see you later. Ginger gets up and goes and gives him a hug. She expresses her love to people. She encourages them. She goes the extra mile. And she laughs at herself. I don't know if I told this story or not, but we were sitting out on the patio. And uh, it had been raining. Before we got out there, obviously. But the umbrella was 
It's one of those fold-up ones. And I went over to unfold it like this. Ginger was sitting right there, and it dumped water all over her. She, she, she got the biggest kick out of that. I don't think I would have. She knows how to laugh at herself. And she tolerates me. Number four, value one another. I, I did this little exercise when I wrote this point the other day. I sat and I thought, okay, what do I have that's of value? And I just went around the house and uh, Ginger and I don't have, I mean, we have a nice house, we have a nice furniture, but we don't have a lot of valuable stuff. But I thought about my my granite man, Moses. I should have brought him this morning. He weighs about 20 pounds and he's about this tall. It's Moses carved out of granite. I treasure that. I bought Ginger this little gold box. Not solid gold, it's part gold in, uh, in Spain. And that's a treasure. It's a treasure box. I just went around the house. How about out in the garage? What have I got out there? Harley. Two of them. But doesn't it just sound ridiculous to say that I would value any of those things more than my wife? It's just absurd to even say that. So if you treasure someone or you value someone, how are you going to treat them? You're going to treat them as somebody special. Do you treat your husband, do you treat your wife with value? They're special to you. Do they know that they're special to you? Value one another. And then I put four blanks there at the bottom. If you value your spouse, then how are you going to talk to them? You're going to talk to them like they have value. It'll be special. Treatment. How do you treat them? Now, maybe for some of you, you slipped on some of these things. It's like, oh, I need and pick that up again. Treat them well. Time. Husbands are always saying, I'm doing this for you. No, you're probably not. Probably doing it to feed your identity or make more money. You're not doing it for her. Take time. If you love someone, you'll take time. And treasure. Let me tell you why I put treasure there. I actually counseled a person one time. They'd been married for, I think, maybe a year by the time I talked to them. And what I discovered was that when they got married, they each had a checking account. And he had a really good job, and she had an okay job. He took all of his paycheck and put it in his checking account. She took, because he demanded it, she took her money and put it in her checking account. So it's like this. She paid half of the bills. 
He's got a lot, she's got a little. Divide the bills in half. Listen, when the Bible says that you become one, it doesn't say two. This is mine and this is mine. You're one. You're one. You share things together. You make decisions together. You value each other. Treat each other with respect. It's not one and one. It's one. One plus one is two. It's not two, it's one. Husband shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So you do things together, and sometimes that's really hard. <laughs> you have to talk about things. You have to make decisions together. You have to go through conflict at times. But you do that as one, and it changes your relationship. So bow your heads if you would with me, please. I want to pray over us.